Chavez Shuva, 2023. Title is Look Beyond What You See, Lessons from the Katoras. Just to go over what we're going to do for the next 35 minutes or so. I want to explore a Gemara topic, a, as we call in Talmudic parlance, a sugya. And from there, we're going to see powerful lessons that are apropos and relevant to this time of year of Yom Kippur and to forgiveness, but really to the entire year. As what we do now during Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, is an experience that's really an experience that's supposed to find a way to impact and to influence the way in which we live our lives the rest of the uh, 11 months of the year. Every day, twice a day in the temple, they would bring something called the Ketoros. This Ketoros incense, made up of multiple different ingredients, spices, that they would bring in the morning, they'd bring in the afternoon. It happens to be that on Yom Kippur itself, they would bring the Ketoros as well, with one, well, with many differences, but the one most apparent, perhaps, was that, as we know, the seemingly the focal point of Yom Kippur and the entire service, the entire Voda, was not just the fact that there were multiple sheep and one being sent off a cliff, but if you were to ask anyone on the street, what's the focal point of Yom Kippur? It's that the Kohen Gadol, on this holy day, maybe the holiest day of the year, enters into the Kodesh HaKadosh in the holiest place. This is the focal point, the apex, the acme of the service in the temple and perhaps of the entire year. And what does he do in this Kodesh HaKadoshim? Well, the Mishnah tells us, he brings, or the Pasukim tell us, he brings the Ketores. In fact, the way Rashi makes it sound, it's through the bringing of the Ketores that he enters into the temple, although we're going to quibble with the way to read Rashi later. Point being, we bring Ketores all year round. We bring Ketores on Yom Kippur. The, the difference is that on Yom Kippur, this Ketores is being brought within the holiest of holies. Now, I think it's interesting just to note, and this is a side point, that the Avoda of Yom Kippur, and we go through this whole elaborate Avoda, we read it, the old Mishnah and Yuma, it's not, we don't just look at it as this is, you know, the normal Avoda of the everyday, the normal service of every day, we put to the side and we now uh, supplement it, or we superimpose the Avoda of Yom Kippur on top of it. But rather, the Rambam opens up the laws of Yom Kippur with, which law? Which law you'd expect them to open up the Avoda of Yom Kippur with? Probably with one of, you would expect, with one of the, um, you know, unusual, Carbonos and characteristics of the day. But he actually opens up with, every day in Yom Kippur, we bring the carbon tumid. As if to say that Yom Kippur, unlike, um, no different than any other day of the year, is an ordinary day. And we, we on, on top of that, we layer on top of that the service of Yom Kippur. But being as it may, I think it's important to recognize that Katoris is brought every day. It's also brought Yom Kippur. However, and I want to explore exactly what happens every day, we're going to see there are extreme differences and we're going to see perhaps it's any although it may look similar a totally different avoda on yom kippur itself so i want to explore that right now with you and uh let's begin says the psukum and acharemos acharemos is acharemos after the death of aaron's children nadav and aviyu who brought a foreign fire who actually seemingly it looks like they brought the katores and it was because they brought the katores and they did it wrong and again there are many reasons what exactly they did wrong but according to one interpretation it's really because they brought the katores as if they were um in fact a koengado inside the holiest holies so after that god comes to moshe go tell aaron your brother do not enter the holiest of holies, right? Why would we say that here? So presumably it makes sense if the issue was that none of the view entered it and they were not supposed to. So now I'm going to remind you, do not enter. Because um, as I appear on the, uh, over the cover, a cloud of, over the ark, you go fo- go forward and then the Pesukim start to, to describe the Avodah of Yom Kippur, in fact, what the Kohen Gadol needs to do in order to get in there, which by the way, the Grah has an interesting comment. The Grah seems to imply that Although we're used to this notion that the Kohen Gadol only enters once a year, for Aaron a Kohen, any time he were to perform these avoda of Yom Kippur, whether it was on Yom Kippur itself, the 10th of Tishrei, or it was the 10th of Nisan, he was able to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim. 
and says God to Moshe, your brother shall not enter because I'm there. However, skip 15 sukkim, 14 sukkim, if he goes in there and places this ketores, his incense, on a fire in front of me, a cloud shall cover the ark, as in a cloud of the smoke, and then he will not die. Again, that's where you get the implication of Rashi. It's through the uh, entering, through the ketores, that is the key to entering the Kodesh Kedoshim. Okay. Let's hold that thought. The, 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 the uh, key to entering the Kodesh Kedoshim is the ketores. Let's just, I want to go over now some of the laws of the um, ketores. And there's a number of places we can look, but I think the most, or for what I pulled out, one of the succinct places of playing it is in fact the Rambam. As we know, the Rambam wrote 14 books, the Yad Chazaka where he goes through all the laws of Jewish life, laws that are applicable now, such as davening and benching and Shema and Shabbos, and the laws that are no longer applicable, but one day soon will be applicable, such as the laws of Karbonos. So in it, again, this is the one of the most important halachic works, and also works in the world, world of Lomdus, in it, the Rambam says, in the laws of daily sacrifices, he says as follows, There's a positive command every day to... Offer this incense on the Bechazav, which was in the inner, which is in the Heichal, which is the, the inner sanctuary, right? The base of Mikdash had the Azara. I mean, there are many, multiple layers, but for our, what we want to discuss now is there's the Azara, where that's where everyone's allowed to go. Although parts of it we uh, we don't allow Yisraelim, parts of it not Livium, and how much of that is Darais Gerbana, not for now. Then we have the Heichal, which is the inner the sanctuary, and then the inner sanctuary is the Kodesh Hakadoshim. So twice a day, and how do we know that you're supposed to bring Katoris twice a day? Well, it's a Pasuk and Shemos. Every day, Aaron should bring Katoris, Hasamim, the fragrant spices. Skip a pop. I, I, I just pulled out the parts of the Rambam that I thought would just help us and help us understand a little bit what the Katoris is. Now, what exactly happens? And we've skipped what goes into Katoris, what exactly happens? So at the moment that the uh, the Katoris offered So this is actually not something that's uh, unique to the Katoris, but any time there's an avoda being performed in the heichal, so whether it's lighting the candles or it's offering the Katoris, no one's allowed to be in there except for the sole Kohen who is performing that avoda. So it says the it says the um says the um the Rambam at the moment that this individual is lighting is, is igniting the katoras is lighting it no one else should be there okay what exactly takes place so it happens to be that it's not as simple as um as that the entire time is there but rather at the moment of the voda so actually we're going to skip the next line just, uh, just to say out loud what would happen is as follows the katoras is a skula for ashiras for wealth that's what they say they also say being a sandik is a school of Farashiras, for wealth. And uh, I was once in the room with Ramosha Dava Tendler, the son of Ramosha Feinstein. He said as follows My father in law, Ramosha, was a sandik many, many times in his life, and uh, he was not a wealthy man. So you can do with that what you want. However, point being that because of the Katoris was a school of for wealth, they only allowed someone to do it once in their life. So that, this would mean as follows Every day, a, new, a newbie, a neophyte, would be the one entering into the. Uh, into the into the heichal to bring the katoras. So what would they do? They wouldn't exactly know how to perform it. They they'd send in an old an elder kohen, someone who's more experienced, who would walk them through the process. They'd bring him in there. They'd walk him through, and then at, right before he was going to light the katoras, which as we said, that's the uh, avoda, the service. The kohen would exit, and now that this now the kohen who was in charge of the avoda was the sole person there, there alone, he would light it up once it was. Uh, a, a lit, the rest of the Kohanim can now re-enter into the Heichal, into the sanctuary. So, very, just, that, that's what it is. And then the, the Ram describes, again, this is all based on the Mishnayos, that, that as he would go in there, he'd, he'd do Mishtach Havaya, he'd uh, prostrate himself, something we do on, um, on, uh, on Yom Kippur many times, and it goes on to say, and he, he checks to see if it's, and he spilled out, and then the other people would have to leave, after he said everyone else should leave because I'm about to light it, he'd light it and he'd prostrate himself again. Uh, there's a, a lot of this uh, prostration, this, this this bending over, we'll call it shtachavoya, taking place. Seemingly, any time they moved or did a different avoda, they would bow down. What's the idea of bowing down? So it happens to be, it's more than just, again, 
showing allegiance to God. There's, there's something very humbling about you know us, and even nowadays, and uh, with everything we have, when we bet, we you know, bow down, they get all light, lightheaded, and little Rosh Hashanah, kind of, kind of saying, like, "Hey, look, who are we? We're just you know, a little, little puny man. We're bowing down before God." But from the perspective of uh, of the avoda, it actually serves a very important function. That's as follows: If a person there's, there's an iser, a a prohibition to enter into the heichal. Um, not for no purpose at all, for no utility. You have to have a purpose for going in there. What would it to happen if a person walked in there and goes, oh, give out. I, I have nothing to do in here. So the, uh, the, the, uh, the halacha tells the Torah tells us, if he does his shtachavaya, as in he had no purpose to go in there and he's now going to get a lav, but if he does his shtachavaya, he bows down, he essentially he's performing some sort of uh, avoda, some sort of service, and therefore that saves him from biyarikonas, from entering for no reason. Interesting idea that through the very act of bowing down, which is again, it's, it's a small act. It's not a, you're not slaughtering an animal, you're not sprinkling blood. You're just bowing down. That's considered some sort of service, and therefore, if you enter with no reason, if you bow down, you've saved yourself. So much so, the Rishalvechik has an essay about this. Um, we're going to get to it later. What if a person? doesn't remember, doesn't recall, let's say they're supposed to bring the Ketores, they walk out like, you know, I don't know, there was a long morning, they can't remember, did I bring it, did I not light it? Did I bring it, did I not bring it, did I light it, did I not light it? So the only way to know is now to have, they have to walk inside to look. Is it, you know, is it on fire? Is it not on fire? Well, let's say they walk in there and it turns out it is on fire, so now they've walked into the Heichal with no purpose, no reason, no utility, it's B'ere Kondis, and it's, it's a lav, it's an Isra, the Torah, it's a, it's a negative co- a prohibition. So what should they do? So if they have to go into Suffolk, out of doubt, go inside, bow down. So irregardless of if they had performed or didn't perform the, the Ketores, meaning they now have to re-perform an Avoda, don't have to perform a Avoda, we don't care because they, since they did a Shachavoy already, they've saved themselves from going in empty-handed. You follow what I'm saying? That in the event a person has to go inside because they're in Suffolk, they're, they're unsure, did I or did I not perform an Avoda? Well, if they go inside, it turns out they had already performed the Avoda, now they've gone in for no reason. Oh, so bow down, you've saved yourself. So very important, that's the role that, that bowing down plays. Okay. Um, this is all cons fine. Um, okay, next. This so okay, okay, so that's that's the basic avoda of of the uh, katoras. Okay, good. Let's contrast that now to the avoda on Yom Kippur, the katoras and Yom Kippur, and try to hold what we have. Again, so it's twice a day you bring it, and you uh, the, the coin, the, uh, any coin can bring it in the on the in the heichal. While the moment he lights it on fire, everyone else has to walk out, and he bows down going in, bows down going out. He's always bowing, lots of bowing. Says the psukim, right? Primary, one of primary sources is your most primary source. Says the Pasik Achremus. No one is allowed into the Ohel Moed, which is the Heichal, when Aaron enters into the Holiest of Holies to atone until he departs. He shall, atone, he shall make atonement for himself and his household. And fine, and for everyone else. What's different? What's the difference? This is our first. This is going to be our first difference. Whereas in the heichal, when uh, during the rest of the year, when is no one allowed in there? We said the uh, the experience going is there the entire time with this with this with his uh, intern until the moment they ignite the katoras. Then they exit. He lights it and everyone else can come back inside, right? With all their bowing. On Yom Kippur, the Pasukim are very explicit. The second iron even enters into the Holiest of Holies. Prior, way prior to him lighting it. Everyone has to exit. While he's in there the entire time he's there, not just when he's setting up, not just when he's lighting it, but even when he's setting up, no one's let in there. He finishes, no one's let in there until he exits. Very interesting. Yom Kippur's different that the entire time he's inside the Holiest of Holies, no one's allowed around. Number two. How long is he supposed to be inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim? So the uh, Rambam says, and he gets it from the Gemara Numa on uh, Parakeh, he's there until the room fills with smoke. Which is interesting on two accounts. Account number one is we don't find anything about the room filling with smoke during the rest of the year. In fact, the way in which they construct the fire, and if you look, there's a... Um, the Siach Yitzlak over here points it out. The way in which you construct the uh, the fire, the, the the wood, is different on Yom Kippur during the re- than during the rest of the year. Right? There's multiple ways to make fires. You can make a fire. You can have something burn very quickly. You can burn something in a way in which there's you no know, smoke billowing out from it. On Yom Kippur, the Rambam describes that they would construct 
the way in which they would, they put the uh, the katoras, it was bitsubura in some sort of pile so that it would last longer and create more smoke. Meaning to say, during the rest of the year, you lit it, you're done. You don't care, and it burns very quickly. On Yom Kippur, not only did they light it and have to wait until the room filled with smoke, but they actually lit it in a way that a it would take longer to burn, and b the tibura that there would be uh, lots of more smoke. So, Number two, the difference between Yom Kippur and the rest of the year. And by the way, I just want to point out now that for those who didn't mention Yomi, you'll know there are a lot of other, I would say, differences that may not be as um, as relevant to our discussion now. You know, they might have to be with the length of the um, of the handle, which the Sukkim describe it, which the Mishnah describes it to. We don't want the Kohen Gadol who's fasting to become very tired, so we try to make the whole process easier for him and how many times he's putting things down. I don't want to discuss those again. There's what to discuss, not for now. We're discussing some of the more fundamental differences. So again, number one was no one's allowed to be with, uh, in the whole Heichel the entire time that Aaron, we'll use Aaron to be our, because he's our paradigmatic Kohen Gadol, the entire time it's in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Number two is that the way in which they constructed the fire was so that there was more smoke, and that he had to wait inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim until the whole room fills with smoke. Okay. Any more? Yes. Says Rabbi Salavechik, and I don't have a quote for this. I mean, I do have a quote, but it's down below. Rabbi Salavechik says the following. There is, well, he doesn't say this. One of the most famous Sherlock Holmes stories um, goes as follows. Sherlock turns to the Inspector Graves, and, in, and when Inspector Graves says to him, and this is actually, this has entered into our, uh, in, as an expression, he says, he says, is there anything else curious you've observed? And Sherlock says something to the, to, to the uh, line of uh, the curious case of the barking dogs. This, is in, this was in the, uh, I think it's called the Silver Blaze. That was the story. The Silver Blaze is in the, um, the autobiography of Sherlock Holmes, the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, one of the, the biography of Sherlock Holmes, right? It's all, uh, it's all from Watson's perspective. What happened was, is there was a Silver Blaze, which was a, a, horse, a racehorse, that went missing, and Sherlock, and also they found the trainer dead. So Sherlock was called in after three days to come and, uh, well, he only showed up in three days, and he had to come look for him, and at a certain point, during the inspection, during the uh, in- investigation, Inspector Graves says to him, is there anything else you've noticed? And at this point, Inspector Graves, I believe, is a little bit, uh, uh, not disappointed, is annoyed, irritated by Sherlock, as it is. And Sherlock says, yes, the curious case of the missing dog. So he says, what do you mean? The dog's, uh, the, uh, sorry, the curious case of the barking dog. So Inspector Graves goes, what, what's curious about it? They didn't bark. To which point Sherlock says, precisely. Meaning to say, the fact that they didn't bark when normally guard dogs do bark implies something's amiss. Mainly that it must be someone who uh, the dogs recognized and knew, and that's why they didn't bother to bark. So, to apply that principle over here, where Salvagic says, there's a curious case, after scouring Mesechah's Yuma and the Rambam, of the missing Hishtach Avoya. Hishtach Avoya never shows up. This idea of prostrating oneself never shows up for the entire time that the Kohen Gadol is doing the service in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Which is interesting, because it seems to be so important during the, um, during the rest of the year in the Heichal. Whether it's important because it saves us from and B.S. Reconis, right, you have a suffolk, or you want to avoid that, or just in general, there's lots and lots of bowing, yet that does not exist in the, um, in the Kosh Kedoshim. So, based on all this, Rabbi Salvechik makes the following is so. And if you look, by the way, I have a chart here of just different differences, right? Yom Kippur, he's alone from his entra- entra- entrance to exit. The rest of the year, the calling is alone only when he likes the Ketoros. Number two, he doesn't bow. Number, uh, on Yom Kippur, curious case, the missing of the barking dogs. The rest of the year, there's lots of bowing. Number three is the construction of the fire, the construction in a way that will prolong it and create lots of smoke, which is three and four. And number three and four here is that he lights and he burns, and in the, he lights and it burns quickly in the re- during the rest of the year. And there is um, the moment he lights, he's done. And if you look, I have five, six, and seven, eight. Lots of other differences we're not going to get into now. Okay. So what's going on here, says the Rav? Why is Yom Kippur? So different, the way in which Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is done, and we're even forgetting about the fact, which is important, Yom Kippur is done in the Kosh Kedoshim. Yom Kippur, there's no bowing. Yom Kippur, the way they construct the fire, there's lots more smoke, and lastly, no one's allowed to be in there during the rest of the year. And listen to what Rizal Vajic said, this is found in a few places. One is, there's a Kovitz Chedushet Torah, it's a small, slim volume of various articles, Rizal Vajic 
put out in different journals throughout Torah journals throughout his life and his father as well. And they, instead of having people have to go track down journals in Hapardes from 1921 or whatever these journals are, they put it into a, uh, an anthology. And number two comes from what's called the Yegeris Hagrid. This is a very interesting work. When Ray Salvechik was young, he went to Berlin and he continued correspondence with his father and his uncle, Ravelvo Salvechik. We'll see this story. Let it close to Ravelvo, the brisker of. Uh, of various Torah topics, and some of them his father said amazing, some of his father said not so good. Okay. He says as follows. He ain't near it. It appears to me, So makes the following claim. He says that whereas during the rest of the year, Ketores is not an avoda, in the sense that you, you know, when you bring a carbon, for instance, why am I bringing a carbon chatas? It's a service so that I can achieve atonement. Ketores is simply lighting a fire because incense should be burnt. That's all it is. There's no some greater idea that we're trying to achieve atonement. It's not some greater idea we're trying to have this idea of ritzoy come before God and appease God. Simply, part of the service of the temple is Ketores should be burnt. What does that mean? That means a Cohen goes in there, he lights the fire, it's burnt, done! Story's over. Meaning to say that from when does the uh, when is the actual service? It's just a moment of lighting, because all it does is it has to be lit. We're gonna contrast this now to Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur itself, it's very different. Says the the it's not just we're supposed to light Katoris because Katoris has to be lit every day, but rather Part of the service of the day, part of Avodas Yom Kippurim, is we have two goats. One we send La'azazel, one we slaughter, we shech the, the bull of the Kohen Gadol. And the Kohen Gadol enters and exits the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Not just the Kohen Gadol has to be in the Kodesh HaKadoshim to burn incense, but rather the very entrance, the exit, and the entire duration he's standing in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Lifnei Hashem, encountering God in his most manifest form, that entire process is part of the service of the day. It's part of the service point of the day. It's not just we're in a room to enter so we can perform something, but rather part of the service of the day is you enter, you spend time with God, and then you exit. Spending time with God engenders a requirement to create some sort of smoke, to create some sort of katoris. Not because the katoris has to be burnt like every day of the year, but rather it's, we have to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim. We, once you're in there, you got to do something. What are you doing? That's the katoris. So therefore, that answers our question. You see, you see, why is no Kohen allowed to be inside the, inside the Heichal for the entire duration when the, when the Kohen Gadol enters until he exits? Because what did we say? When there's an avoda being performed, it must be done solo. So when you're lighting the candles, no one could be around. When you ignite the katoras during the rest of the year, for that moment, no one could be around. They can come in afterwards. On Yom Kippur, it's not about the moment you light the katoras, but about entering the Kodesh Kedoshim, spending time in the Kodesh Kedoshim, exiting the Kodesh Kedoshim, which means from the moment the Kohen Gadol enters into the, between the two curtains to walk inside until he exits the curtains, that's all avoda. That's all service. That's all the Kohen Gadol standing, lifnei Hashem. If that's true, no one else is allowed to be around. Let's move on beyond that. Why is there no Hishtach Because we said, what's the point of Hishtach often? It's to save us so that in the event we go inside and don't do anything, it's not Bia Reikonas. We didn't, we, we didn't do an avoda. We didn't enter the, the Heichal for no reason. Well, if you tell me the very entrance, the walking through the door is avoda, is service, so I don't need anything to save me because even if he goes inside and doesn't perform anything, he still performs something by entering. Because again, entering the Kodesh Kedoshim is a vote, is service itself because it's all about standing before God. You enter in, stand before God, that is a vote. And lastly, what's this whole idea of lighting and the fire, the smoke, lots of smoke filling the room up? Because what we're doing here is not just saying, oh, check a box, we lick a Torah. That might be the rest of the year. The Torah says, like a Torah, we say it twice a day. Anyam Kippur, the Avodah, the point, the focal point of the day, of this holiest day of the year, is standing before God. It's standing before God. And when we stand before God, we prolong it. We create this uh, avirah, this atmosphere, with the smoke. The Ketoros of Yom Kippur is unique. It's singular. Because it's about Lifnei Hashem. It's about encountering the divine. It's about 
really, if you want to say, use these lambdas, uh, we say terminology, Talmud terminology. The kiyom, the purpose is to stand before God. Once you're standing before God, so then we like Ketores as an expression of being Lefnei Hashem, of, as an expression of being in front of God. But again, but again, it's not that we're just lighting Ketores because we're supposed to light Ketores because that's what part of the Seder Hayom, like the rest of the year. But rather, the fact that the Kohen God doesn't need to wish Dachavayim, and the fact that no one's allowed to be around the entire time, the fact we prolonged the experience, all tells us it's about entering the holiest of holies. It's about standing with Hashem. It's about encountering the divine as most manifest form. What emerges from here is something unbelievable and so powerful. When does the Kohen God enter the holiest place on earth? When is he commanded to enter and stand before God? Not at the end of Yom Kippur, or perhaps the day after Yom Kippur, after he's achieved kapara, and after he's achieved atonement and salvation. But in the middle of the Yom Kippur service, prior to even lots of the karbonos being sacrificed, prior to even the kapara and the, and the kapara, the atonement being given, God says, come before me. Stand before me. Before, before whom is going to be, are you going to be purified? Before me. As if to say, the famous quote from Be'akiva, come before me because I'm going to purify you. Even though, at this moment, when the Kohen Gadol enters, the Jewish people and himself have not achieved atonement yet, he's commanded to stand before God. And this is so powerful because there is a raging debate on the days of the Second Temple. This debate is found in Yumon, on, on, on Yutes 19b. The debate is as follows. We've just been explaining rabbinic Judaism, and that is, the Kohen Gadol is, is commanded to go into the Kodesh HaKadosh, the Holiest of Holies, and while he's there, bring Ketores. Right? And we, as we explained, the whole experience of it is one of standing before God. That's the command. However, the Tzedukim, the Sadducees, who rejected Torah Shabbat Peh, they rejected oral law, or to be more accurate, they had their own interpretation of oral law, which is vastly different than the rabbis, the rabbinic oral tradition of Jewish law. They argued... Should, that you should do all the Ketoros on the outside, and only then can you enter. If you look in Yuma and Afnun Gimel, it explains exactly. Tanur Rabbanon, the, the rabbis teach us, You should place the Ketoros before God. What does it mean before God? That you shouldn't do everything outside, and only after, once it's a light, you should enter. Rather, what, what happens? Rather, you should do it all inside. The whole process takes place inside. You bring Ketores inside and you light inside. This is, he says, in contrast to the Tzedukim. What does Tzedukim say? You should light the Ketores outside and only then enter. Enter. Ma'adarish. So it has an interesting play. I don't know if it's a play in words. It is Ma'adarish. What do they, how do they learn it? Because it says, I will appear to you in the smoke of the uh, Kapores, of the Ark covering. Okay, fine. So we don't have to do we don't have to do more than that. Be it, but what the purpose that's coming out of yours is a major machlokus the tzedukim and the prushim. The prushim, who are our uh, rabbinic ancestors, they say, as we've been saying this entire time, the kohen gadol enters with this pan of katoras, this, this bowl of whatever, this ladle of katoras, and once he's in there, he lights it, and the tzedukim say no. You can't enter the Kodesh Kedoshim unless you've already lit the Ketores and you have the smoke billowing out of it. Why? So they say something very interesting. This is the Sifra says, Im lifnei, im lifnei Before flesh and blood, what do you do? You prepare something and then you enter, right? Before you go visit you know, a king. You don't walk into the king and, set up and then only then start brewing the tea. When you're in there, you bring in tea that's brewed. You don't cook the meal outside you don't cook the meal, excuse me, in front of the king. What the king gets, what the president gets, is a fully baked, fully formed meal. So he says as follows, if before our flesh and blood, we only enter when we're ready, when we're perfect, when all is, when all is good and well, certainly that would only happen before God. Is it to say as follows, how can man, with all his flesh, with all his flaws, with his warts, with his blemishes, with his failures, his sins, stand before God? As we noted, we're this, right now at this point on Yom Kippur, this is before Kapar. This is before Slicha. This is before any atonement was given. 
How can man, muddied by sin, enter the holiest place? The only way, they say, is if he has some sort of matir. If he can, some dispensation, if some way he can appease God or perhaps cloak himself within smoke. And therefore, they say that Katoris must be done beforehand. That you can't just enter. Man, you're failure. Man, you're black. You're muddied by sin. You haven't been forgiven yet. How dare you enter the holiest of holies? The only way is if you bring Katoris some sort of ritzay, some sort of way of appeasing God, of cloaking yourself so that you can stand before God. Man, in all his flaws and warts and blemishes, has no place before God. Only perfect, pristine, white, free of sin. Only then can you stand in front of God, unless you bring the Katoris. However, the Prushim, our rabbinic ancestors, say no. It's Dafka the opposite. When we enter, the Kodosh Kadashim, the Kohen Godlo, who is a representative of Klal Yisrael, enters the holiest of holies. At this point in Yom Kippur, he enters with his failures, with his humanity, full of sin. There's no Kapara in Tahara yet. The Katoris is not there to achieve Tahara. It's prior to that we come close to God. Prior to achieving atonement, we encounter God. We're commanded to encounter God. And what God is telling us is, I'm not ignoring your sins and failure. In fact, that's what the whole purpose of the day is. But it's that I, Hashem, recognize and I see you for who you are in your totality. Both the failures and the successes. The moments that didn't work out the way we wanted and the moments that did work out. Says Hashem to us, I'm not going to define you. By, and I'm not going to define our relationship based off your worst moments. Hashem says, I see you for who you are and I desire that you enter and stand before me just the way you are. There's no need for a heter. There's no need for a dispensation. There's no need to hide our disappointment and blemishes. We're going to enter, we're commanded to enter before the atonement, to stand to stand before God just as we are in with everything that we are. And I think we learn a valuable lesson from the Katoras. Hashem knows who we are. Hashem knows what we did. Yet Hashem is able to look beyond those moments, beyond that failure, beyond the darkness, beyond the blackness, and see us for who we are in our totality. Hashem sees us for more than just the moments when we let Him down. And therefore, through the Katoras, Hashem is teaching each and every one of us that sometimes we need to be able to look beyond the failure, beyond the hurt, and while we don't excuse the harm, we can't just, and we shouldn't always just poo-poo or justify the people and the things that hurt us. We still have to go on and find a way to maintain and nurture our relationships with the other by looking at them in their totality. The Mishnah in Pirkei Yavah tells us, Yeshua ben Prachia teaches us, among the following things, Zasei l'cha rav, make for yourself a Rebbe, v'kanei l'cha chaver, and acquire a friend, v'gedanes k'ladim l'kavslis, and you should judge everyone favorably. Which, it could be this is actually a prescription, that part of making for yourself a Rabbi, and we'll see in a minute, and part of acquiring yourself a friend is the very fact that you can judge favorably. What does that mean? So I think often we think of Danakas Chus. It's when you see someone doing something that they shouldn't do, or they act in a way that's inappropriate. And even if we don't believe it, we try to concoct a story so that we could view it in a good and positive light. But what that does does often is it excuses the wrong. What happens when we're very hurt by something? When we can't find it within us to forgive and forget? When we just can't justify the behavior, the comment, the things that were done to us. How then do we live with Damakov Chus? It's very hard sometimes to concoct a story, especially when we feel so hurt. And I think there's a deeper level of Damakov Chus that I want to discuss today that emerges from the Katoris. And as I just mentioned, this idea will hopefully help us and it shows us why the way to read this Mishnah is that down the Kaskos is a prescription for Asei Lecha Rav, the Kanei Chaver. Because what I'm going to drive at is, there is never going to be a person who will never harm us in some way. That every teacher and Rebbe and Rav and mentor and friend, sibling, people in our lives, they're going to hurt us. And the question, the prescription is going to be, how do we move beyond that? Especially when it's a hurt 
that perhaps we can't always ignore or justify. Hayidanis Kaladim Lakafsla says this Svas Emes, the first the Gera Rebbe. The way to read it is the lesson is Hayidan is Kaladim, not every person, but rather Kol Ha'adam. All the man. And he says as follows Even though this individual right now may not may have harmed me, but if you judge the whole person, who is this person? What went into making them who they are? What were their experiences that perhaps led them to this comment, this insensitivity? Or more perhaps even profoundly, who are they despite the fact that they exhibited this behavior towards me? That they made those comments towards me? That they acted in a way that was inappropriate towards me? Who are they? Who's Kol Adam? Look, can I look beyond just this moment of hurt and see the whole of man? It's a prescription for them being And what this is telling us is Rav Kook, Rav Kook, the great lover of Kal Yisrael, Think of Rav Kook, you often think of the great justifier of Klai Yisrael. The man who was able to love Klai Yisrael so much he saw the flaws and saw good in it. Rav Kook writes, the great love we have for our nation must not blind us from criticizing her blemishes. And I think he's driving at a similar point. You can love someone, and we do love people. But part of that love is we see beyond the moments when they let us down. And perhaps it's also, when this came up in last year's Shabbat Shuvah why is the Ketores that has the Chelbana? What's the Chelbana? The, the Chelbana is that one spice that's foul-smelling. And we discussed one reason for it last year, but perhaps part of the reason this year is, because what's the Ketores as we just talked about? The whole idea of Ketores is God saying, I look beyond the Chelbana, the foul-smelling things, the things that aren't so pretty. And I see you for your totality. I see the rest of the beauty. I see the delicious smell. I see you as who you are and all you have to offer. I can look beyond the Chelbana. There's an amazing amazing idea. Rishalvichik brings down, I first heard this, I read this in the introduction to Baroga's Racham Tizkar from Rabbi Dava Beshefkin of 1840 fame. And it comes from Rabbi Salavechik. He said this in 1942, just for some context. 1941, Rabbi Salavechik's father and mentor of Moshe Salavechik passed away. This is a year later. He's still in grieving and mourning. 1942, as we know, Europe is a fire. In America, where Rabbi Salavechik found himself the future of orthodoxy was bleak. People were leaving in droves to the conservative movement. People's children were not keeping with tradition. Where were we going to go? What's going to happen to the Jewish people when we're being murdered in half the world and the other half of the world? We are, in the words of Samuel Hellman, loving ourselves to death, marrying out, intermarrying, leaving tradition. Rizalvechik says something powerful. The Gemara tells us this is also in Yuma. Tanur The year that Shimon... Hatzadik, who was a Kohen Gadol, passed away. He said to them, And this year I'm going to die. So he said to them, How do you know you're going to die? So he says as follows. He said, Every year when I enter the Holies of Holies, some angelic being, the Sabbath Kadisha Shal Yisrael, the whole, some holy man, some holy angel would accompany me into the Kodesh Kadashim, dressed in white, wrapped in white. He would enter with me and he would leave. However, this year, Ayahuman is Daman Lee, so this is taking place apparently on Yom Kippur, at post Yom Kippur. Zakin Echad, the man comes to me. He's wrapped in black and he's dressed in black. He entered with me, but I left alone. And that year he passed away. So, what do we make of the strange Gemara? He said, I have, some, I have some vision every year. A white, a man dressed in white enters and leaves with me. The Sabbath Kadisha shall Yisrael. And this year, I enter alone. I enter with him, and I exited alone. Says the Reh as follows. And I want to read to you his words because they're so powerful. Biram. Reh explained in the previous paragraph, which I didn't quote just because of time. He said, Second Temple Judaism. What's going on? What's going on here? So I'll tell you something unbelievable. Scary. The Gemara in Sota tells us that during the second temple, especially towards the end of it, we already know from the Gemara in Yuma that the priesthood, which is supposed to be the holiest of the people, was corrupt. It was corrupt. Every day, someone else was being indicted. It was corrupt. There were so many in the first place of Mikdash, there were a few Kohanu Gadolim. The second one, every year, they needed a new one because they, because they were corrupt, they wouldn't live out the year. They'd enter the Kodesh Kadashim and die, which, by the way, is in a, it's in a, um, just, it's strange and baffling. If you know you're corrupt, how de- you know you're going to die, so why then would you enter the Kodesh Like, how big is your ego? 
that you felt compelled to enter a place where you knew you were going to die? Like, what's, how warped is your brain, perhaps, that you are this cognitive dissonance, perhaps, that you have within you that you think you got it right? When all your predecessors who acted the same way didn't get it right and clearly were struck down. So you have this, the, the kahuna is totally, is dysfunctional. We have the Hanukkah story, you know what's going on with the Greeks and the most that was actually infighting. Towards the end of the Second Temple, says the Gemara and Sota, they stopped donning. The judges stopped judging cases of capital punishment, cases of Egla Arufa, which is the, what happens when you find a person, who's a, a body, abandoned in the middle of nowhere. So you have to, uh, there's a whole elaborate procedure. And the Sota, the adulterous woman. And why did they stop doing so? Not because they lost the power. But because it was so, they were so numerous that it was happening so often, they had to pull back. And every year, Shimon Tzadik would go into the base of Kodesh and he looked at the Klal Yisrael, he looked at the Jewish people. And the way they acted, here's the man, the representative of Klal Yisrael, is supposed to stand literally lift Hashem, as we just said. And look at God and say, I want to repent for the Jewish people. Please, grant atonement for the Jewish people. And every year, he'd walk into the Kodesh Kedoshim with these thoughts swirling in his head, look at Klal Yisrael, and just look how down they are, and how muddy they are, and how full of sin they are. But when he'd enter the Kodesh Kedoshim, he'd find it, the capacity within himself to overcome these doubts, these thoughts. The appearance, the atmosphere of being in the holiest of holies, the serenity that's quiet, no one else is around. The ark with all its glory is there. Somehow it would, within him would well up a feeling of hope, a spirit of hope, and a strength of, of, of his heart. Am Yisrael Chai! Despite everything, the Jewish people are alive. I'm looking at the holiest of holies, and despite everything going on outside, here it's quiet, here it's tranquil, here it's holy. Nothing has permeated and punctured the holiness of the holiest place. The base of English has not yet been destroyed. And the line of Kahuna, even if it's been muddied by corruption, is still here. The whole Shana Vashan, and every year he'd find within himself this capacity to be hopeful. The so when the Saba Kadish, this holy Jew, Yisrael Saba, would enter with him, he'd see the future of the Jewish people, that they'd also be dressed in white, that they'd be forgiven, that they'd overcome the temptations that beheld them in those days. When he's in the Kodesh Kedoshim, he would forget all the bitterness, the cold, bitter winds that were taking place in the outside wouldn't permeate here. It's very poetic. And through the smoke of the incense, there'd be a belief and a trust and a strength. And this elderly person, his image, was dressed in white. Would enter with him, but Nechnasino. Shimon Tzadik Ra Lo Rak as Knesset Azaki Yisrael Saba Otlevena Otlev Tikva Vaos El Gamasitziaso. So Shimon Tzadik would see not just this holy Jew, this white dressed in white, wrapped in hope and strength. We'd see him exit. Okay. Then he says, Upisum one year this year Ra Azaki Lavashachor Vatev Shachirim as Yisrael Saba Otlev Lavashachor. We saw this Jew. His image, dressed in black. He saw the future of the Zakein. In the morning. And that year, this hope, this light of hope, could not overcome the thickness of the, of the, of the smoke. And the elderly Jew, although he entered with him, didn't leave him. To tell us, it was dark that year. It was cold that year. In the holiest of holies. And a scary thought enters the hearts of Shunat Tzadik. 
Perhaps I'm going to be the last Kohen Gadol to ever enter and encounter the Holy Divine in front of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Because this year I'm going to die. And this is the powerful part. Listen to what Rabbi Salvechik says. How he interprets it. Not that I'm going to die because I did something wrong. Not that I'm going to die because the Jewish people did something wrong and therefore they're not right. They're not capable of having me as the leader. Not because the Jewish people act in such a deplorable way. I, they're, not, they're, not, they're just not someone who have the ability to have me represent them. Rather, listen to what he says. I don't have the permission to be a Kohen Gadol. Leo Shliach to be the 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 Shliach, the messenger of Knesses Yisrael of Nailufim to be the person who the Jewish people choose to represent them of Nailufim in the Kodesh Kedushim. The Regekot Pukakakti but also the Kahuna Gadol of the Garla Mikdash. The Shakal Rishias Knesses Yisrael but the Mus Zokin Otter Shor Yovo Achar v'Shemish Takti. He says as follows: Not that the Jewish people don't deserve to have me as their leader because of the way they act, but rather because I no longer believe in Klal Yisrael. Because I cannot find it within me the capacity to have a hope in Klal Yisrael. Because every year I had doubts, but somehow I overcame them. But this year I could not overcome it. This year it was dark. This year it was cold. This year instead of the clouds of smoke from the Ketoros bringing up hope and light, all I saw was dark. All I saw was bad. All I saw was bitterness. All I saw was the flaws of Klal Yisrael. I am not capable anymore of being a leader of the Jewish people. To be a leader of the Jewish people, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, you have to believe in the Jewish people. To be a leader of the Jewish people, you have to see the hope in the Jewish people. To be a leader of the Jewish people, you have to be someone who's able to look beyond the flaws of the Jewish people. Rabbi Soloveitchik goes on here. I'm not going to read it inside. But to say, look around us. I'm surrounded in darkness and depression. My father passed away. Europe is burning. Jews in America, who knows where they're going to be. But he says, gentlemen, I still see a zucking, dressed in white, wrapped in white. I still believe in the Jewish people. I still can be your leader. This ability to look beyond the failure, to see the Jewish people, to believe in the Jewish people, to recognize that there's more to the other, to recognize there's more to Klal Yisrael, to recognize there's more to our neighbors, to our friends, to recognize there's more to our fellow citizens than the flaws and the errors in judgment that they present. That's what it means. Look beyond. To see them for more than who they are. Our relationships are built by and should be defined by the sum total of the entirety of our interactions. We cannot and should not reduce our relationships to the individual interactions encounters. To this time they did this for me, that was positive. Then they decided negative for me. Let's put it on a scale. Okay, we're positive today. Our spouses, our parents, our children, our friends, our siblings deserve, deserve more than to be looked at through the lens and weighed against every interaction as accrued merits or demerits. Being in a relationship, being in love is a state of mind and a commitment. And sometimes that love demands forgetfulness. And sometimes that love asks of us to be able to look beyond certain failures and certain disappointments to embrace the person in the relationship. The Chazan, as he stands before God, as our Shligach, says the Hindi prayer. And in the Hindi prayer, he says something peculiar. He says, God, may you regard our omissions, our mistakes, with love, and may you cover our sins with love. That this is the relationship we have with Hashem. We say to Hashem, because you love us, because you're in a relationship with us, look beyond those failures. Look beyond the times that we sinned. Look at us for the relationship. And God says, I do. Come inside and bring the Ketores before you even experience Kapara. Because I want you for who you are and everything you have. The failures, the successes, the high moments and the low moments.
us. It's about us saying, when the, when the other does wrong to us, when someone harms us, it's about st- stepping back and saying, I see you for more than just that. I see you for more than the flaws you present. I see you for more than the hurt you are causing. Not because I'm justifying it. I can't always justify it. I can't always excuse it. I can't even say it's okay. But what I'm saying is, I'm looking at you as cold ha'adam. All of you. That I'm going to learn to live with this dissonance. On the one hand of the hurt you caused, and maybe are still causing me, but still see you for more than that. Kol ha'adam. And in a way, I'm not going to fixate on that hurt the same way. We all have someone or something in our lives that has hurt us. That did not act appropriately with us. They didn't act nicely. Perhaps there was comments that were made. Something insensitive that was done. Could be parents, spouse, siblings. It could be an institution. It could be an authority figure. It could be a Jew who lives life different than our own. It could be Hashem Himself. What the Katoris is telling us is that sometimes we need to look beyond. Not to excuse, but to look beyond. So that we can nurture and strengthen those relationships. I want to end with a famous tefillah. Famous because it was made famous by Avram Fried. Part of a much longer tefillah from Rebbe Elimelech Lovijinsk. And he says as follows. Tain Billy Benu. God put in our hearts. Shinira Kolech and Mailas Chavirenu. That we can see the positive, the good in our friends, not their deficiencies. Not that we don't, not that we say they don't exist. Those deficiencies could be there and they could be very real. The hurt can be there, can be very real. The negativity and the insensitive comments can be there, very real. Our sins can be there and they can be very real. And we have to be reckoned with them. But But at least let us focus on the milas of our friends. This is a tefillah I end off with all of you as I wish you a good Geben Shtiar, a year of growth, of health and happiness where hopefully we can work a little bit on looking beyond just what we see. Good job.